Comic books are so much more than merely words and pictures. I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast, I don't need to tell you that, but comics are the culmination of work by a team of people working in unison to create a whole that becomes more than the sum of its parts. Often, the way the book is lettered, or inked, or coloured can tell the story as much as the script or the penciling. And while these elements can often be so subtle as to go unnoticed by the casual reader, they are crucial in evoking the intended emotional response and providing a complete, immersive experience. My name is Matt Loon, and today on the show I'm joined by Trina Farrell and Hassan Otsman Elhow to discuss the impact that colours and letters have in some of their favourite comics. This is That's the Issue. work for kind of Marvel, Image and Dark Horse and like numerous different studios um, in terms of like what you might recognise I've worked on. I've worked in kind of Spider-Man, uh, West Coast Avengers, Crowded, Rose, um, Blackbird as well with Ken Bartel. So yeah, a whole host of stuff. Um, I'm a colourist mainly, do a little bit of illustration on the side, but yeah, that's my, my primary job at the moment. Uh, I'm Hassan Otsman uh and I, I make uh, the Pound by Pound magazine which is a magazine all about like kind of comics craft and, and stuff like that, uh, which has got two eyes and nominations now this year. Um, and uh, I make Strip Panel Naked on YouTube, which looks at like sort of storytelling and comics. And I also uh, letter a bunch of comic books, um, like Killer Groove, which is out soon, and probably whenever this goes out. And <laughs> some other comics that I can't remember. Oh, uh, like Red Sonja and things like that. Uh, welcome both to the show. Uh, it's really good to uh, to chat with you both. Uh, I wanted to talk to you both uh, for a while. I know, Hass, that we've spoke previously on the show, uh, but this is our first time chatting, Tree. How are you both doing? You good? Good, yeah. Uh, working away, literally, as we speak. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were saying before we started recording, you're, um, you're currently working on Crowded. Is it issue seven, is it, that's out in July? Yeah, it's issue... Yeah, it's out in July. I'm currently working on that. So I'm just... I'm, I'm doing up the, the finishing touches today. So this is the the next arc. Um, we had the previous six, and then we took a break a bit for the catch up. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we'll talk a bit more about Crowded uh, a little later because um, spoiler alert, that is the the book you've chosen to bring to the show with you. Yeah. Um, but um, but generally speaking, when you're uh, when you start work on a project, when you get the first you know first few pages, or you get the script through, or you have that first kind of sit down or talk with you know the the writer or the the artist, the illustrator, uh, what are some of the things that kind of go through your mind? You know, what are some of the the initial things you think about when it comes down to actually sitting down and coloring? Um. So. It really kind of come like there's there's some projects that will uh, have like a lot of engagement and I'll actually I'll sit down with like the the artist the writer, um and they'll have like a detailed plan of how they want it to color, and there'll be other artists and writers and kind of projects where like they're like look you're the expert we trust you to come up with something, um for me like uh, <clears throat> either way um usually I have like a general idea of how I want to color something before I started where like I, I have some inspiration from like a piece of art or something like I like for example um when I did I don't know if you know uh, Deep Roots from Dan Waters and Val Rodriguez in Vault yes and when I looked at the art first I was like how am I going to color this because Val's, Val's work is gorgeous but it's like really highly detailed but there's mm. a lot of space 
to work with. And when you have a lot of space, you can do two things with coloring. You can make a flash or you can do like a lot of rendering, but I don't think that really works on his work. So I just ended up going kind of like a, like almost like a Van Gogh direction with these like swirling colors that sort of match like the swirls in his lines. Yeah. So that yeah, it's a gorgeous of... looking book. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> that was my approach in it. Like generally, like I say that like I'm super planned and everything, but generally like when I do the first <laughs> first page I will do will be like the like a test page for me. I'm kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? And there has been times when, I've done something. I've stepped back and go like, "What? What is that? <laughs> you know, that's terrific. <laughs> that is not worth. You know, you have something in your head and you're like, "No, that that didn't translate it well at all." It happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. How smart you are, and then it's just like, "No, no, it does no, not work." Yes. <laughs> it turns out I'm not that smart. <laughs> Probably something you have. So you're like, "Oh, I have a really cool like lettering idea." And you do it, and you're like, "No." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but, embarrassing um, how often that happens. Yeah, yeah. well, it's happened to me as well. Like, I colored that yellow. No. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah, some, yeah, so generally I'll do a first page. And if I really like the direction I'm going, I'll stick with that. And then we'll I'll obviously pass it on to the editors. We'll have a chat about mm. what we're doing. But, like, um, it, that's why I said the, the first and the second page of a project, it always takes, like, it always takes twice as long because you're trying to figure out what you're trying to do with the color and what's happening so yeah yeah anyway how important is it for you as as an artist to have your own um your own kind of style because with with pencilers and you know and inkers to a certain degree like you can you know with certain comics you can look and go oh that's that's definitely so and so's work you know whereas with with colorists and and with letters as well has to to a large degree you know you're you know a lot of what you put into it is you know has to you you have to learn to adapt to the the work that you're on Mm -hmm. um so do you find that that adaptation you know that adapting constantly to other people you know the penciling and you know into and the scripting do you do either of you find that that kind of detracts potentially from your own signature style, or do you still try and do you still try and inject your own kind of um, your own kind of personality into it? Probably, well, most people say I probably like a lot of colorists. I know I have a very diverse style. Um, there's probably is a couple of hallmarks in my style. Like I, I, I tend to, um, I tend to really like having like a two format color in pages where like. I'll I'll have like a I have like a like say like a standard blue like the room is blue but there'd be mm. like a highlight yellow and you'll see it if you look through my work you'll start to see it like a whole ton because I like I rely on it way too much and um, <laughs> but yeah apart from that like in terms of rendering I tend to paint a lot but there'd be there'd be some colorists you'll see like Tamara Bonville for example and she's got a very very distinct style you look at something you go you go immediately that's Tamara you know and she's always kind of told me like she never she kind of there's a tendency sometimes to kind of try and copy styles when you first start off, but she just, she was doing her own thing from the very start. Um, and you get other people as well who be very, very diverse. Like I think Jordi Blair, for example, is very diverse in her approach and rendering. Um, like just a couple of different ways in what colorists can tackle things in terms of like, like rendering and then the color placement and also like color choice, you know? So yeah. um, some people will be very, they'd be very set in their ways when it comes to all three. And there'd be other people who would, they'd, they'd have like, always have the same kind of rendering, but they'd be very diverse in their color choice. I think Tamara's quite like that. And there'd be people, people who can render in all sorts of different crazy ways. And it just, this, this is the thing where like, your colors aren't going to suit every artist out there. 
but it's definitely people I've caught up before. I'm like, uh. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm the best suited for this person. You know, like I think my work looks best and kind of textured. Um, I don't want to say more cartoony line art, but yeah, more textured line art. I always think look, my yeah. work looks best. Um, and some, for some people, their work looks more great on like more standard, like DC stuff, you know, more like standard superhero stuff. Just depends, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Hass? I, uh, it's, the, it's, it's the same sort of thing for lettering because there are some letterers who have um, like a, like a, their style and that's kind of like really all they do is they have that one kind of approach. Yeah. Um, if you look at, like, I mean, I'm thinking like Todd Klein or even maybe like John Workman, they kind of have like a very specific like look to their lettering. Um, but my, I think my philosophy on it, which maybe is in part from the fact that like when I first started lettering, I had sent loads of stuff to Aditya. Um, Bidikar, who is like one of my favorite letterers, and he gave me like a bunch of feedback, and probably he informed like a lot of my viewpoint, I guess, on this stuff. But for me, it's like I'm always, I I want the lettering to look like I wasn't I didn't I wasn't part of this comic book at all. Like that the artist just also lettered this thing and, and drew the sound effects and everything like that. So okay. my decision making is trying to find you know the the kind of like the balloon stroke or the balloon style and the the, the font that kind of closely as closely gets the sort of like the texture of the art in the same way um yeah. so a lot of I, I don't try to i try not to rely on the same kind of like look uh, as like for each different book like if you look at like my uh, letters on red sonia they're quite different than like the lettering on killer groove which is quite different from the lettering on uh like say test uh and so I try, I'm just trying to get some kind of quality, you know, whatever quality the artwork has, I'm trying to get that in the letters. But like Tree, there's probably, you know, I've got, I think, because I, I do a lot of like brush-drawn sound effects. Now I try to do that more than font-based sound effects. So I guess that's kind of like my tell uh, mm. in a way. But again, I try, I try and match the sound effects to the art. So it's still not quite like, again, like my sound effects on Red Sonja are very, very different than... Um, like what was I working on today? Trustful. So my sound effects on that, which is Chris Visions, who drew that book. Um the art, the sound effects on that are completely different than like the sound effects I do in Red Sonja. So I still try and match up that part of it as well, and and that, it's just like a fun challenge for me. You know, try to get that the right vibe. A lot of the time, I imagine for both of you, it's sometimes it's you get the you can't always tell what works, but then you can you can definitely tell what doesn't work if that makes sense. <laughs> like you you know you look and go, yeah, that's okay, and move on. But then when something doesn't work, you, it's so jarring. And as you said, like uh, has with you know you want to blend in as much as you can to the point where you know, it could be it could be the same hand that works on both. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work, I imagine. Yeah, some, sometimes, you like Tree was saying earlier, like sometimes you have this idea in your head of, um, you know what the thing's going to look like. I, I think so for like, uh, so Trust Fall, basically. So that was one where I had this idea in my head as soon as I saw the artwork of what I thought would work. And I mm-hmm. did a pass on it on, on one page. And as soon as I kind of looked at it, I was like, I'm doing, I think I was just doing too much. Like I was trying, yeah. I was probably trying too hard. Right. Uh, and I looked at it and I was like, this is so distracting. <laughs> it's like, it just does not work. <laughs> uh, and then I went back to something that uh, was probably just about the same amount of effort, but it was, I just sort of rethought it slightly um, and found a slightly different thing, kind of did like a custom brush for it. And, and But once you've seen it, it's a lot easier, I think in that case, like once I'd seen it not work, it was a lot easier to figure out then why it wasn't working and sort of reverse engineer it to a point where I got it to somewhere where I, I felt like it was working. Um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good to fail, like on the page, just because so, then you can know, then you know what, like what to fix, basically. Mm. Yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, and I'll ask the same thing to you then, Has. What what sort of things when you first pick up a script? What sort of things run through your head when 
when you're thinking about lettering something because you know we've we've just talked about the fact that you know you when you you kind of trial and error a little bit sometimes to find what doesn't doesn't work are there any things that you when you're looking at a script do you see it differently when you're reading it as you know someone that's going to be lettering it I look for the pages that don't have any letters on them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that one. They're really fun pages. No, um, uh, it's yeah. Usually, I mean, you're just looking for like the. Well, I like to read them first because it's fun to know. You know, you, I want to know that. I'm, uh, depending on how how I get the job or whatever, but like it's just fun to read the thing in the first place. Hmm. Um, so I try and just read it to get because then you get a sense of the like what this thing is. Um, hmm. Even just as basic as like, you know, it might just be pitched to you as like a sci-fi book or whatever, but, you know, there's strands of that. So you kind of just get the vibe of what the thing is. Um, but usually it's just mostly my focus is on um, like either character voice or or like caption style. So uh, for like Test, which is the the new book uh, uh, that Jen and Chris uh, are doing, um, for that it was like I was just trying to get like the, the, the voice of the main characters, Aleph. So they do like a, they, they have a in, in Chris's script, it was very block dialogue. Um, and I've worked with, this is like my third comic or fourth comic with Chris now, fourth maybe, uh, Chris mm. Sabela. And so I, I, like, I think he's pretty happy if I just kind of do whatever, as long as I think it works. Um, and so looking through that, I kind of got a sense of this, this character that spoke in very kind of the staccato sentences. And so I did a lot of breaking up balloons. And when you see that book, you'll see that there's kind of like a lot of really short, sharp balloons, um, where in the script, they're kind of a bit more dialogue, you know, it's, it's more of like a big paragraph. So I'm looking for just stuff like that, like where can I kind of break up text to, to make kind of a better beat pattern on the page or not better because that sounds like I don't trust the writers. But, what, you know, it's different when you're actually putting onto the page in balloons. Um, and so I kind of just looking for like little technical things like that, like where can I break this or does this need to be moved or, or whatever. But yeah. not a, to be fair, not, not a ton until I actually come to have the page open next to the script. Really, I'm just reading it to get a sense of the, like a feel for the thing. And um, a lot of my I think most of my decisions come when I've actually got the art open and kind of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, I, I imagine that's that's true for you as well, Trill. Like the 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 art, and I imagine the the tone, uh, you know, the the kind of the the feeling that the artist is going for, the the or the, you know, the the, the almost the the genre, or I suppose of the of what the writer is going for as well, kind of dictates the kind of colouring you do. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I've gotten some writers who will go to me and say, like, oh, "What do you envision for this?" I'm like, "I don't actually know." Because, uh, <laughs> the art yes like it's it's adult. you're giving away so many of your secrets like the <laughs> yeah, yeah. of Trina Farrell is just completely lost <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have like a vague idea where like I, if I like they often show me kind of like oh it's such and such an artist I'm not going to work and I'm going okay so obviously like um this particular look will work or this particular work will work but like definitely I don't like to make any final decisions until I see like the the writing and the art kind of married together because it can, there can be complete tonal shift. Like there's a, the good, a good example is, um, I don't know if you're Jeff Stokely's work, fantastic artist. Mm. And he's, he, I did, uh, I worked with him on a Harper and Macmillan book, I believe, uh, Piper. And it was okay. a retelling of the, the Piper story, you know, with the rats and the children. And, but uh, he, they offered Dark Horse a while ago, offered me to, to work on a Terminator book. And I was kind of thinking, whoa, that's going to be like a, a big shift to what, I work with him on Viper because you think, you know, like a children's fairy tale and Terminator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, and like, obviously once I kind of saw, you know, I saw the page that just completely works, but like, um, I had to kind of, I definitely had to approach it differently as to a, what I originally approached with him. Um, uh, because it was just such a tonal difference in story. So I went with a far grittier kind of look, a lot more browns compared to what I did originally with him and Piper. But like, 
you know, that's why it's so important just to like <laughs> see the the, the, fin- like the the finished art for yourself before I make any like hard choice decisions on what I'm yeah. doing. Um, yeah. Um, how different is it to work on something that has such a, a strong visual identity to start with? So like Stranger Things has got a look, has got a, a color palette already in the series and Terminator as well to a certain degree. You know, how how much do you get to play around with that with those kind of worlds that are already established? Um, the I think it's a bit easier in a way because you you have a lot of reference and mm. like generally um I'll, I'll actually go and I watch the series of what it's based on like when I when I actually did um what was it um I actually did do a Stranger Things I did the Stranger Things short for free comic book day and I actually went and I sat down and what I once up went up uh, what ends up happening is that like I'll I say I will watch the first episode and I go this is actually really good and I end up just watching like blasting through the first stranger thing. Yeah, um, for research. Yeah, for, for research. You can't, I'm doing quotation marks with my fingers here. <laughs> Same thing happened with the expanse as well when I did it ages back with Boom. But um, yeah, I think like it can sometimes be a little bit of a crutch as well, where you're like with something like Terminator. Um, when you go back and you look at the old movies, and they definitely have a style to them, but it's really kind of 80s grish. And mm. which doesn't, I don't know if that translates all that well to um, to comic book printing, because obviously I just can't have every, have every page just be black, 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 you know? <laughs> so like, uh, I have to... Again, that would be easier. Yeah, it would be, yeah. But, um, I don't think the book would like that, but... No. Um, so in the end, for what, what kind of inspired me for Terminator was going, because it was set in kind of um, 80s, I think it was 80s slash 90s? early 90s mm. New York and um, I went yeah. back and I looked at like old photos of Queens and Brooklyn and documentaries at that time and kind of like the just looking at you know a lot a lot of it was inspired but kind of just the gritty graffiti that they had at the time just yeah. personally um but and like obviously I went back and I looked at the Terminator movies but um so it's about knowing what to kind of keep and what to sort of let go from uh from IPs because obviously in it's a different it's a different format you can't translate perfectly um with stranger things um there was ibrahim who must have i probably pronouncing his name wrong um who did the art for that and that was Mm. far closer to what the stranger things um look is like but i think it kind of shows these days in movies these days they have a very distinct color style if you look back like in movies from the 70s and 60s and like some of them are fantastic and some of them have fantastic color palettes. And there's others that are like, we're shooting the movie. That thing is green. Not for any reason. But stuff like uh, Riverdale and Stranger Things. If you go and you actually look at the color palettes, like they, that there's, there's a method to the madness. Like there's a reason that his shirt is blue because it, it matches the, the blue in the background, you know, like this, like a thought mm. went into it. Um, so for Stranger Things, it was a lot easier to sort of, um, grab sort of distinct color palettes from that um yeah, yeah just, just personally and it just all depends on what it is or some things have gone a completely different direction and those other things are kind of like it pretty much just looks like the show for what <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and has you mentioned in your intro uh panel by panel has got two eyes the noms in the two years that it's uh been in production uh firstly congratulations uh that's excellent news um, and secondly, what's it like been working on this magazine for the last two years? How's it? Uh, how's it been? 
busy yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's it's fun it's fun to uh it's fun that it's been nominated i was quite surprised that it's got nominated again because uh, there was like a really um quite like a diverse year in 2017 i think it was and you had stuff like i think that was a year like women write about comics uh were nominated av club was nominated uh, yeah. and it, it was quite like a big a big mix and then they like none of those were i don't think like any of those were nominated the year after which was the first year panel my panel was nominated and so i was i was just assumed that for this kind of thing apart from if you like the comics journal or something that maybe there's like a year uh because i was quite surprised by the nominees last year and again i was surprised by the nominees this year because we were included in them um but it was really cool it was a, genuinely very surprising uh and uh again i had to wake helen up and tell her because i got an email at like one o'clock in the morning and i was like oh helen oh my god and she <laughs> did, was not happy about that at all um but, so that, yeah it was quite good but it's it's it's, it's just it's been busy but it, i think it's the the fun thing is that it's just it's like I get to work with loads and loads and loads of really, really cool people. Hmm. Um, and we have such, and obviously you've written a piece as well. And Tree, you were in our very first issue. Yeah. Um, you wrote a piece about coloring on Beautiful Canvas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's like my, really it's just an excuse. And it was always an excuse just to A, talk to people whose work I absolutely love. Uh, and then get articles and pictures and, and writing from from other people who uh, whose work I absolutely love. Um, and just hope that kind of people come along for the ride. Well, what I, what I love about it, and the what I love about um, you know the the fact that this this resource is being built, you know, and it's the same with Strip on a Naked on YouTube. Um, you know, eventually, you're I mean, you've got over a hundred videos on on YouTube now, mm-hmm. um, and Strip on a Naked is obviously in its second year. You've got the twenty fourth issue is upcoming. Is it? Is that right? Twenty third. Twenty third. So you know you're. How does it, is this kind of a, an unintentional side effect or did you go into these projects thinking, you know, this is, this will build into something that, you know, people can, can look back on because especially with Strip on a Naked, I, I, that's certainly influenced how I review comics. You know, it's certainly kind of informed me on how, you know, the, the right things to be looking for, the kind of the way to train your eye. And I think the last time you were on the show, we talked about the fact that you you read comics on a completely different level to anyone else I've ever met, you know? So it's just in, in a good a really, way. A really boring uh, level. No, no, no. <laughs> I thought that, yeah. I was like, no, compliment. It's meant to be a compliment. And, um, and yeah, so how does that feel to know that, you know, you're, you're building this kind of resource that people can, people can use and reference in a way that wasn't really available uh, in a lot of ways before for, for this medium? I mean that that part of it is genuinely really cool. Like uh, when, because I've had like people tell me that they've referenced uh, either strip panel naked or like a panel by panel article or whatever in in like a university paper or something, and that that is incredible. That's wow, yeah. gen- genuinely mind blowing to me. It's really stupid of them, but it's really, it's, like, it's really, really <laughs> they cool. They did like. not pass that course. A <laughs> 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 hard fail. Um, but but, it, but that's but the, yeah, it, it's quite it's weird to think that you that you kind of have had some kind of impact on the way that people kind of engage with this thing that they really, really love. Mm-hmm. Um, because that it wasn't really anything more than we talked before. I think before we started recording about um, not, not talking to people when you're, like, <laughs> when you're making things, you're by, yourself, you're by yourself a lot. And comics yeah. for me was like, I never really had like a lot of friends who I've had friends that like, like comics, but not quite, you know, there's like people that like comics and there's people that like, like comics. Yeah. And I've, I've never really had like a lot of friends in person that like, really, really like comics. And so, I've not really had a ton of people to speak about them to. And before I started making Strip Panel Naked, I was basically just doing that to my girlfriend. Um, 
and you know she hated it so i really had to figure out a uh, quick uh, a, a sort of a way to to not just be talking to her about all this stuff that i found in comics that she really wasn't interested in um so that was really like a, a part of the reason for making it was just I, I was really interested in this stuff and i spent a long time before i started making strip panel naked just googling like you know like every frame of painting but for comics and not really finding anything um and just thinking well if no one's doing it like i may as well just do it myself because uh, that's the sort of thing i would like to see um and maybe i can chat to people you know get you know chat to people from it and stuff i didn't expect uh it sort of to turn out the way it did which was very surprising very very cool mm. um but yeah i just i just wanted like a i just wanted i wanted the thing that i was missing you know like I, it's the same with panel by panel as well i just wanted to read i wanted to read an issue of panel by panel i just didn't but now i just have the thing is i have to make it now which is the, the, <laughs> but, the, the work but like if someone else had made it and gave it to me like i would not have made it because that that was really all i was doing it for was to i wanted that thing in front of me and yeah. uh, no one else was making it so i figured i, I may as well do it and you've also got um a anthology comic series coming out soon uh coming up on kickstarter is there anything you can tell us about that you've been you have been showing panels and teasing it on twitter yeah it's so uh it was more just it's the, the like you know sometimes you just fall into doing stuff and you really sort of part of you is like i really wish i hadn't have done this and the other part of you is like <laughs> this, is, this was a really good fun thing um but i sort of was just like thinking about it one day about the art i think i was on to to another comics writer about um the like the lost sort of the lost art of like a making a really solid you know like four page uh, almost like 2000 ad-esque sort of uh serialized story mm. and how much fun it would be to, to like edit those basically and like work on a bunch of different ones um but without, without the pressure of having to write it uh <laughs> and so I, I sort of just tweeted about it one day and i had loads of people reply to me so i thought well this might be something to explore um and so I had loads and loads of submissions. I had like over a hundred submissions for this thing, um, and whittled it down to six stories that I that I love. That are a weird mix of story. There's like um, one's like a like a cooking comic. Mm. Um, one's uh, uh, one's like a, a sort of like a demon based uh, action drama romp. Uh, <laughs> one's a kind of like a class, a kind of like classic Hollywood noir. <clears throat> pardon me. That's also kind of set in Hollywood. Um, one is a uh, gang, like a kind of like a, a violent Frank Miller-esque gang uh, sci-fi street thing. Wow. Uh, one is kind of like an Irish folklore with a kind of slight modern twist. That's really, that's really, really good. And uh, how many have I just listed? Oh, and uh, one is... And one, yeah, five. I think it was five. And one is a kind of like a Black Mirror-esque sort of sci-fi um, identity kind of crisis-y sort of thing. Um, so it's six different creative teams uh, telling six different stories, and they, they're, they're all going to be told over six issues, um, mm. which ideally, hopefully, will be released monthly if it gets funded on Kickstarter. If not, then we've got one issue that people can read. Um, but yeah, it's just it was, it's kind of just like a fun experiment, and I wanted to kind of put something out uh, that, that was much more like comic-y as opposed to like writing about comics. Um, and yeah, and so I'm editing it and uh, designing the thing, um, and it'll be coming soon within the next sort of month or two. Mm. um i think but i'm just i just want to get the first issue fully ready uh before we launch it but i think it's gonna be really good i think it's gonna be really good and the, the stories i'm really really happy with the stories i think they're amazing yeah well I, on the on the last episode of this show i spoke with uh clay napier and al kennedy about this kind of um the anthology which feels like a very um british uh <laughs> british thing isn't it really because you know we we tried to reel off a few american 
versions of an anthology and all we could really come up with like was kind of marvel presents and things like that yeah. uh, whereas obviously here we've got 2000 ad but we've also got you know comics like the beano and the dandy and and mm-hmm. bunty which claire brought on the last episode and mm-hmm. that that's a similar kind of thing and uh, and phoenix which is the the more modern version of that um, yeah. But it is a, it is an art, isn't it, to to get stories that not only function as as a whole piece, you know, four pages, five pages per month, but also stand alone in in their own kind of right as a you know three or four page uh, unit. Um, it's very yeah. difficult. It's, I suppose it's like standalone issues of comics, isn't it? Really, you know, being able to write that done in one story, or you know, being able to to write a chapter of a whole is a very different, uh, very difficult thing to, a lot harder than it looks, I imagine. Yeah, it's really, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, very tough. Um, and like, it's, yeah, it's a difficult thing because, but also we're cheating a little bit by having our page sizes like A4. So we've got a lot more actual real estate on a page. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, yeah, you're kind of trying to do something where you're telling a new, a, kind of a nuanced story that has a, a defined the chapter still has a beginning, middle, and end, and it's still satisfying to read as a single unit, um, but also does carry on and tell more. But and so we're doing it in different ways depending on the on the on the um, story. So one of them is essentially a, a ton of sort of six uh, individual stories, completely individual stories that are, that are just kind of linked by a sort of a general theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but some some kind of tell a kind of almost like a case a week story. You know, in each of the four pages, one is telling a much bigger, a much broader. Uh, detective story over the whole thing um so that we're doing it in, in slightly different ways uh in each story which i hope i hope hopefully if we get to tell all six uh, chapters of them people will also see that like you'll see that it's it's an experiment in not just uh how to tell a story in four different pages in four pages but like how to tell a story very very differently and how to like wrap it in four pages very very differently depending on the kind of story you're telling so mm. it, yeah it's, it's very difficult but I, we, I think we've got a couple of different ways that we're doing it um yeah as i say i'm quite i'm quite excited by it obviously i'm gonna say that i'm not gonna say it's awful but i genuinely do uh, <laughs> think that it's i genuinely do think it's actually quite interesting no, it it does sound fascinating, and you have got a lot of positive feedback on um on Twitter, online, and stuff. So, you know, f- keep your fingers crossed, and uh, for when it does uh, when Thank it does you. come out. Um, so the reason I brought you both here um is uh, aside from sharing our own feelings of loneliness, uh, which <laughs> which were, which is going to sound strange on the recording because we were talking about that before we started recording now. But um, but yeah. So apart from uh, all of that, uh, the reason I brought you on is to uh, to get to know you uh, through the comics that you love, um, and um, to do that, I've uh, invited you both to bring along a comic, a bit like Show and Tell, um, but it's a podcast, so it's Tell and Tell, um, about um, <laughs> the issues that um that you love. Uh, so Trina, we'll start with you uh what uh, comic have you decided to bring with you to the show um so i, I guess this is a little biased um but i brought a lot of crowded <laughs> thinking they're kind of like oh you you wanted me to, to bring along something that i worked on i can discuss something else but like um, <laughs> no crowded's a good yeah, example i like um, it i love crowded um i i work on it as well um it's i feel it's either nominated for a reason it's such a fantastic story um Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, like, what would you like me to talk in relation to credits? Well, just um, what what you love about it, really, because obviously, you know, it is it is something that you've you've worked on, but at the same time, um, you know, you mentioned before we started recording how much you love the series as well, and and you, that you fact that even if you weren't writing, uh, weren't working on it, coloring it, you you would be a fan of it, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's one of those ideas that. 
it's it's so well paired together with the the arch but it's also an idea that like um i wish i thought of that kind of idea you know where mm. like, i don't know if anyone's kind of tackled um it's sort of 10 minutes in the future what would happen if kickstarter um was allowed to basically host assassinations <laughs> for people <laughs> and it's um the more you read it, and especially coming up to this, this the the next issues where like the Roe and Ted, the, the artists on it, they're they're so good at environmental storytelling. Like there there are parts where like I'm when I'm even coloring it, and I'm like, man, that's so good because it, it's such, it's the kind of future I can sort of see happening in the U.S. especially, where like mm. um, uh, there's there's a fantastic scene like coming up in the next issue in like a train station, and there's sort of um uh there 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 there's like a warning sign not to sit too long on the benches because they get they reach um melting point after like an hour because it's you know it's the planet's warming up because of climate change so <laughs> right, um, right. it's an actual thing in the US that could be which is terrifying but um <laughs> yeah but like there's if you if you like look go and you look at like the background details that like Ted and Row have put in like they they really they really paint the kind of future that it's ridiculous and it's like over the top but at the same time i'm like i could kind of see this happening you know um, yeah and as on top of that like i think it's a really good kind of character story as well like the the I, some people have kind of told me like i i found it kind of hard to get into because like the main character is such an awful person you know but like <laughs> I think it's a good character study of like an asshole <laughs> in a way of, like, yeah um where you're following this person who has like they have a bounty against them that's a million dollars and like everyone's chasing her because they they want the million dollars um and she's there's a there's a good there's good reasons as to why you know people started donating to this kickstart her assassination you know and yeah it's throughout the book it kind of it kind of goes into like like at first she says, "Oh, I'm an angel. I don't know why people would do this." But then you start to go into like she she's done she's done a lot of crappy things to a lot of people, and um, and her kind of coming to terms with that as well. And I would I would thoroughly recommend it just personally. Uh, yeah, it's Chris is such a fantastic writer, and like I think him and Ted and Roe are like they're so in sync about what they want to do and what they want to depict. So yeah, you've got it. You you've nailed it really because it's it's such. Uh, a high energy book that I think if anyone lagged behind just a, a little bit creatively, then it would. I think it would fall apart, wouldn't it? Because there's there's so much going on. They're so fast paced, but the storytelling that's being told is, you know, in the first few pages of issue one, you know, it 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 throws so much at you and just asks you to keep up. Um, and sometimes that's quite literal because it's you know it's a car chase or they're running down the street or they're going from one place yeah, to another. Yeah. But other times it's these high concepts that, as you said, like, you know, this idea that that is 10 minutes in the future of kind of kickstarting or crowdfunding uh, an assassination. But then you've also got crowdfunding defenders and then you've got uh, you've got all the she does all these different jobs. This uh, this Charlie does like uh, like Uber driving and Lyft driving and and walking people's dogs and being someone's friend, you know, paying someone to be your friend and things like that. uh, But then also fed into it is just this idea that. Yeah, you know, if if, not, if someone doesn't like you, they can start this Kickstarter to have yeah. you murdered, <laughs> and so many people chip in, and it's yeah. just such a brilliantly—it's an annoyingly good concept, isn't it? It's it just is. like, it's, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, no, exactly, and it's, it's also like weirdly believable. Um, yeah, in it where you're you're sitting there and you're like, like this is ridiculous. It's so high octane, 
but at the same time I can really see this happening in the future you know especially in terms of like you know there's so many different apps for different things and there's um uh like I can totally see in the future there being an app for bodyguards you know <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Right? if you were to tell me that's going to happen in the next 10 years in the US I'd be like yeah no I can see that happening so. yeah yeah well I mean it, it, it that's what I love about it it's, he's you know Chris Sabella who's he's the writer on it he's he's created this world where you know, you can crowdfund assassinations. So conversely, of course, you know, the 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 internal logic of the world he's created is is so well conceived yeah. that of course there's going to be like a bodyguard app as well. Because if people are being crowdfunded to be assassinated, then obviously there's money to be made from protecting those people. Oh yeah, no, exactly. It's um, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic idea. Like I can um I know it's it's currently being shopped around um movie rights wise for Rebel Wilson. I can really see why she'd be like personally interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um so I I think it would look look great on the, the full screen as well. So I'm looking forward to that if it ever happens. But um yeah, it's I would yeah. highly recommend people pick up the book. It's um I always joke about it with my, my colorist friends, but like for a book called Crowded, it is incredibly crowded. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much going on in the pages that like this is a good example of when I looked at the art, I was like, Okay, um if I was to kind of do like a standard sort of rendering style, I'd be here forever. You know, like mm. there's there's the the idea of like working you know, smarter and not harder when it comes to coloring, where like you're not you're not necessarily like not putting in as much thought but sometimes you want to you want to go with a style that's just the, the quickest to work with it but it's um the amount of detail that ted Rowe put in it's, it's amazing and i'm i'm there i'm like i would never think to put this much detail in the background but here we are <laughs> yeah it's 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 really well done the way it is because it also feels as well like you talked earlier about you know them the, everyone being on their game and um and I, I definitely think that that's true of yourself as well. Like I know you're saying, oh, you know, I, I took, you know, working smarter, not harder. But there are some, there's one moment I want to highlight in issue three that is, that's got these three junkies that start, um, start getting, getting high. And as each one does, your coloring changes for each character. Oh, um, yeah. so, so they, you know, the, the background, you have, you talked about kind of the flat colors, the bright, you know, the bright visuals, but then there's, as each character gets high, they, they shift in their own reality. So, you know, they, they start becoming a bit more ethereal, a bit wishy-washy, a bit kind of like, um, spaced out. And I, I love that because that's, that told the story of that scene, um, really well. Yeah, no, um, I get what you mean. Like, um, because when I looked at the scene first off, it kind of like I, I didn't just want to highlight that they were taking, uh, they were having a bong, or I think I think they were, they were doing they, a drug. They were doing a drug. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what they were doing, but they were definitely doing a drug. But I wanted to definitely clarify that what happens is they, uh, I believe they they track down Charlie, um, or they track down into the house, and they have this bright idea to throw fire on the ground or throw gassy in the ground and set it on fire but i wanted to highlight highlight it very clearly like yeah it's a really bad decision but they're also hot yeah yeah that's it yeah, <laughs> so yeah. What, what i like to do in those situations is um it's kind of a car holes is very good for kind of defining like a scene that like stands out that's a personal favorite of mine i just i just put a color hold on the panel and i'm like look you need to this this panel isn't exactly in reality so much you know like mm. they're not particularly in reality you know they're not they're not quite quite connected to what's happening <laughs> yeah that's yeah. it yeah 
and it, and it's good. It's a it's a great kind of it's a fun scene. It's a funny scene as well, you know. But uh, but obviously with your the, the inclusion of that in there, you know, the fact that each individual character changes. It's not just the whole panel gets gets shifted. It's each yeah. individual character as they're as they're kind of you know shooting up or smoking um and uh, and then eventually the whole panel is kind of washed out in this in this in this style just to show that their whole world is just kind of swimming around them yeah, and they're just yeah, going yeah, the fire is, yeah. the, fire is the is always the best answer you know yeah. it's, it's never the wrong answer <laughs> yeah no it's brilliant uh Hass, what do you think of crowded do you know what? I, was, I was waiting for like a, a good time to uh butt in just to say that um it is such a like a beautiful looking book, mm. uh, and Rowan Ted's they're like when they uh, they're like character expressions are like for, like it make, that book makes me laugh just like without even having like without actually like specifically reading the balloons you can just look at some of their faces and like the the character acting the faces is just stunning mm. like it, it makes me chuckle it makes me chuckle constantly yeah yeah it's it's got a real um, comedic timing to it yeah. as well really it's I mean high energy yeah. There's yeah, there's like even when I'm like just doing the art and there wouldn't coloring the art and there wouldn't be any particular speech bubbles on it and I yeah you, you can they have a real talent for kind of they will look at a scene and they will know how to depict the scene to what exactly is happening like even though it's something that's very high energy you're like okay I know exactly what's happening in this panel I know the exact mood of the mm-hmm. characters because you know their their expressions are so brilliant that like like okay well that person's annoyed clearly and that person isn't um. And they have a real talent for what you call it, um, putting a lot of expressions and character into background characters as well. So, like mm-hmm. um, in the 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 next book I'm doing, there's particular scenes where there's a there's a whole bunch of people in one room, and it would be very very easy to kind of get to get lost and just put in random people, you know, um, just <laughs> you know people in like like jeans and t-shirts, and um, but like there's you, you can tell in Ted and Rose head that they've they've marked um that they've created specific characters for this scene and the characters mm-hmm. are only gonna be in like six or seven pages. But um, <laughs> at the same time like they, they have their own it almost feels like they have their own stories behind them, you know? Um, yeah. I can't go into too much detail, obviously, but you know what I mean? Where like if you when you read the book you're like certain people will pop up again and again and you'll you like recognize them and they'll have their own kind of little thing going on in the background. So it feels alive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And what I love about the the two main characters as well, and I think this is um, a perfect example to talk about, you know, you and your style, because I think the, you know, there's a certain, there's a, quite an iconic look to them, uh, to both to Charlie and to Vita. And I think a lot of that is down to the colouring as well, because, you know, Vita's jacket is very, uh, you know, the, the yellow of the jacket is quite iconic and quite kind of punchy and stand out and obviously charlie's got uh like bubblegum pink hair as well yeah, yeah how much influence did you with that were those your design choices or was that something that chris or you know roe or ted influenced with so um originally roe and ted were like we want charlie's design to be pink because they well, they had like a lineup of characters and they had certain characters be certain palettes and i i personally really like that um so that like in in scenes that are mainly about Charlie, I could make them more pink, and scenes that are mainly about Vita, I could make them more yellow. Um, mm-hmm. And there's other characters um, that would be say more green, and their scenes would be more green. Um, but yeah, it it was really um, Jenny was kind of following along with the what Ted and Rowe sort of envisioned in terms of colors for the characters. And um, but I think they really yeah. do stand very well. Like it's usually when you kind of 
when coloring you know two main characters of of a book or like even just in a tv show or whatever you know you want them to have contrasting palettes but you often see contrasting palettes which are like um they'll be like red or red or blue or red or green or something like that so i think the yellow and the pink is very unique because i don't think i've seen that before is it's almost no. like you know kind of car taxi yellow <laughs> yellow <And then laughs> yeah. bright candy floss like i love that kind of it's not like a hot pink yellow but it has like a little bit of it has like a little bit of red in it so it's mm. i don't know how you describe the kind of pink that uh that we get it's like bubblegum pink you know which i i really like mm. because i think that like hot pink can look a bit too blue and it'd be kind of jarring on the eyes but hers is kind of a, that pink is more sorry i'm going into like what kind of pinks i like which is a very smart decision because um there's so much going on in the pages but you can pretty much just look at any panel in crowded and go like okay there's Vita and there's Charlie in the complete mess of what's mm. happening. You're like, there's the bright yellow mm. and there's the bright pink, which is genius in my opinion. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of feeds into something I was, uh, another part I was going to highlight. There's a, there's another section in issue, uh, issue three where the background behind them, like Vita and Charlie are face to face and behind Vita is kind of the, the yellow color that then bleeds into, as it moves across the panel, it's, a, it's into the pink behind Charlie. But then on the next page, you invert those and it's kind of, you know, I feel like that subtly tells the story as well, really, because to me, that reads as though they're, they're kind of, their worlds are intertwining, they're, they're becoming yeah, closer yeah. As, as characters and... And, that, and that's fascinating to to kind of see that and to and to yeah. see those choices that you're making. Yeah, that was definitely intentional. Where like um, Vita and Charlie as characters, like they they do not get on, but they are trying mm. to relate. They come from very different places, but they're trying to relate to each other really hard. And yellow and pink, like they're it's not colors that you kind of think will go together, but sometimes it kind of it starts to intermix. You know, so there be there be yeah. times when I try to like portray that, and obviously when they're um there'll be times as well when like I sometimes put I'll put Charlie in more yellow and I'll I'll try and put like some pink on Vita, you know, or and it, that that probably be something you'll see further and further down the line. But yeah. Um hmm. yeah, that was intentional. We'll pretend we'll pretend it was intentional. We'll keep the mystique yeah. we'll keep sure, cling on to sure. some of that mystique. People yeah. say that a lot, we're like, oh man, I really love how you de- depicted the emotions of seeing it as a cat. No, that wasn't the thing. <laughs> that, that, that was definitely me at some point yeah no, exactly. like, that, that, that was a 2 a.m color choice that i made yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i did that because life, i really needed to so. get to bed <laughs> well um volume one of crowded is out now and as you say uh, issue seven which is the start of the next arc that you're working on uh, literally working on today yeah, um is out um <laughs> It's is out on July third. Not to kind of um, not to put pressure on your uh, on your deadlines already or anything, but just to inform people that that's uh, that's what it's coming out. <laughs> um, but we'll uh, we'll move on to your choice then, Hass. Uh, you've brought a comment with you as well. What uh, what have you decided to bring with you? Uh, I, I brought the uh, the latest incarnation of uh, Brubaker and Phillips's uh, criminal series. I'm glad you did actually, because this is a series that I really wanted to catch up on, um, and so there's uh, there's four issues out at the moment. Um, but it, Criminals, a series that goes back many years, isn't it? Really, um, between Brew Baker and Phillips, they've they've released different um, iterations of this series over the years. 
Since 2006, Matt. 2006. I know this because I've been editing their interview for Panel by Panel today. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I've got all the research. You're, you're very quick. You're quick off the ball then. I was like, oh, man, he's done more research than me for my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, because this, this was also a cheeky pick for me. Uh, apologies. Cause, so uh, for people listening to this, the format was that Matt asked us to bring comics. And unfortunately, uh, 99% of the stuff that I read is, is work-related in some way mm. um and so this was like the only thing that uh i've been reading recently for the because um so uh, do you say this is this coming out on the 28th uh the um no I, I don't know when the next issue of criminals coming out actually no sorry this, this podcast oh this podcast is coming out on the 28th yes it is yeah so so the panel by panel the criminal edition uh issue is the day after this comes out oh perfect uh, so that's why it's been on my mind um mm. a lot it's a really good it's a really good comic it's it's a it's a brilliant series yeah i mean have you i assume you've read a lot more of the criminal than me then in that case if you're uh, if you're interviewing uh Brubaker and phillips but um but i i haven't read many of the not read a single issue <laughs> what is this criminal that you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> um but how does this compare to to previous works it's well it's a lot it's it's what's quite interesting about this one i think uh is the the last kind of like the last bunch of criminal stuff. If unless discounting my heroes have always been junkies because that was like a, a technically a criminal comic, but it was like a standalone graphic novel. Mm. But all the previous ones have been kind of like a almost like a season of a TV show or something that's like a six issue run uh, that tells a story. Whereas this is like a, they're using this as like an ongoing. So the stories keep changing. So like the first issue had one story. Issue two and three had a, a story together. Uh, issue four is is a different story again. And they're all using different characters. Um, but obviously, there's like the lawless family, which is like the main thing. Mm. Um, and they kind of dip in and out of it. But it's I really like the, the thing that I love about this so much more than the previous uh, criminal iterations is that like they feel so nice as single issues, which I, I don't know if that's just like a lost art now, but creating like a really nice single issue of a thing. Um, you know, it's got like the the essay stuff they do at the back, um, but also the issues are quite big. I think they're like 40 pages or something, 38 pages. Mm. So they're quite long. Um, and they work quite nicely as like standalone things. So like reading issue one is clearly part of a bigger story because it ends with a kind of like a, a sort of a spoiler. It kind of tells you what happens to the future of a character on the very last page. Uh, and then issue two and three are just like a completely different, completely different story, with completely different characters. And then issue four is like the son of the character you saw in the first issue, and it's telling his story, but like you know about ten years in the future. Um, so I really like the way that they're creating like a single issue uh, format that means it's kind of like useful, it's like worth you buying it every month, right? You don't need to wait for the trade necessarily. Yeah. But also then they've weirdly done a thing where like the second and the story from the second and third issue, they're I think they're releasing that as a, as a book separately slightly expanded with a slight i think a bit more story and you know like a, a bit of back matter and they're doing it as like a separate almost like trade release oh okay um like a, like a novella i guess mm. um so i just i really really like beyond before you even get into the, the their story uh their storytelling i just really like the format of the thing i think it's quite interesting yeah yeah it's it's fascinating because i the one of the i read some criminal years ago but the only other like one i've read recently is my heroes have always been junkies which you know is is kind of the the a novella that they bought out released last year um and that had uh obviously uh brubaker and phillips but it also had jacob phillips on coloring um yeah. which is he's continued on to this ongoing series as well um so good it, it's brilliant and i i watched your uh strip on a naked on uh on specifically on the coloring um and i wanted to uh kind of you know expand some of your thoughts on that really because jacob phillips 
ha- brings such a unique style to um, to his father's um, line work, um, and that does influence how you how you perceive the story and how you how you read through the story. And I wanted to get kind of your thoughts on that, really, because um, I feel as though Sean Phillips' style has changed and evolved over the years, which is something that I imagine longtime readers of of Criminal uh, find especially rewarding. Um, but uh, but especially with these these later series, like my heroes have always been junkies, had like a bit of a dreamlike quality to it anyway. And then you yeah, throw in yeah. Jacob Phillips's colours as well, and it's absolutely you know kind of a superb um, superb result that that comes from that really. Yeah, it's, I I, it's, I find it really fascinating because like the junkies obviously was the first like you saying was the first one Jake did, um, and it's it's like painted almost, but with there's quite a lot of white in the in the pages still, mm-hmm. much more than there is in Criminal uh, in this ongoing. Um, so even even between those two things, even though there's, like, there's a lot of like sort of stylistic overlap between criminal and junkies there's, there is still quite a lot of difference and junkies yeah it, it almost looked like um well it's very painted and the brush the brush strokes are very very visible um and it, the whole thing feels almost like really like rough hewn and I, I mean i mean in the interview for panel by panel um sean says that he wanted it to look like an old sort of printing press thing where like the, the colors kind of bleed and overrun right. so have a kind of like that but i think all that's part of that like dreamlike quality that you were talking about yeah um but it's very, very different. I think it looks quite different than a lot of other comics on the stands. I think that's generally the, the thing with like a Brubaker and Phillips book anyway. Even just the format of it is quite different. But when you start reading it, it feels like a very, very different comic book. Like uh, Phillips is kind of really heavy brush, dry brushing thing, contrasting with Jacob's uh, dr- almost like dry brushing colors. It's just I, I, I absolutely magic. I don't, Tree, I don't know if you've read it or not, but I'd be very curious to see what you think to the coloring of it. The... Um... I know I haven't read Criminal yet, but like I have kind of seen images here and there, and I always think like the coloring in it is um it's incredibly cinematic in a way, mm-hmm. where like um it, there's a lot of kind of tricks with sort of shadows and uh you know um and lighting that kind of things you know this could this could be like a like a well placed movie um in terms of the colors it's I. I think it matches very, very well with the artist, just personally. And like, there's obviously a very, there's a really, really good sense of beat from like the pages I've seen. Like, I can't comment on the the story at all, but like, every <laughs> I'll see, um, I'll see people like post fantastic panels. And probably yourself, they post fantastic panels from it, and I'm like, wow, like they're just like obviously the the artist and the colorist are they're very insane. They're 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 father and son, aren't they? Um, they are, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they they've obviously talked about this and they obviously they're very in sync and they know what they're doing um but and they he has a very varied style as well because i'm 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 just thinking there like they this incredible how they have these fantastic kind of painted covers and is that the the artists and the the uh, the, the the color of sun as well i'm thinking i think i think the covers is just i think the covers are just sean oh, I think, okay. yeah i think he paints them as well oh, wow. i think so yeah no, I think cinematics like that's the, I think that's the thing that I got from it. It's it's weird because it's like you wouldn't be I don't think you'd be able to light anything, um, which is weird because I think I think maybe I wrote cinematic in the magazine, but you wouldn't be able to light them on screen the way that they're painted because it's so it's so it's so specifically like painted. Yeah, uh, that would be impossible to replicate without like a thousand lights, and you just wouldn't you just wouldn't do that. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's the texture would be kind of is what makes it as well. I think for for a lot of the uh, a lot of the pages that I'm, I'm looking at, especially in issue one, you know, where the kid is like kind of creeping around in the dark, and and this yeah. the, the 
the the oranges and reds you know stand out and you could recreate that in 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 some kind of lighting effect but the texture of it is is what makes it i think yeah that's the thing that's the thing that makes it cinematic to me i think absolutely is like it has it has just like a really strong quality of lighting even though the lighting even though the the kind of color choices are are quite intense in some scenes like it feels really really lit that's i've done such a terrible job explaining it because i've just said you wouldn't you couldn't light it like that but also it it has a strong (laughs) sense of lighting maybe that's what i'm trying to say yeah i think i think what what it what it feels like to me is it, it evokes a very noir kind of sentiment which you know obviously old like noir films are lit in a very specific way you know that isn't isn't realistic but isn't isn't fantastical either it's just like dramatic uh, like kind yeah. of hyper drama almost and i think that's that's evoked with um with criminal to a certain extent as well and a lot of brubaker and phillips's work follows that kind of noir aesthetic really you know with the fade out and things like that following that kind of um format and the formula that obviously works for them and is you know they're kind of the genre that they like working in um but yeah i think that's that's kind of what we're we're all kind of dancing around really is this idea of (laughs) (laughs) trying to find the words for it as again as three three people that are you know talking on a podcast finding hard to find the words um but yeah no i think it's it's kind of this realism to it by by evoking realism rather than actually leaning on being realistic I yeah suppose. no i'm just um yeah. thinking about it. that's definitely how i discuss it where like if you were to, to put this to put a panel say in a tv show which is it would not work in terms of lighting but like mm. um the mood it evokes definitely it's a really great tr- no, i want i don't want to say trick but you you know what i mean like it's a great method mm-hmm. of being like okay so this is obviously a very very dark spooky room if this was in actual an actual TV show or a movie, this like the colors would not be working at all because it's all too bright. But um, along with the line art, you have this kind of aesthetic mm. that it is very cinematic, but not necessarily so. There's a, I think that mm. in it, there's a, there's a lot of tricks that they use with lighting um, and shadows that kind of like that that evoke a lot of noir films. I feel. Yeah, they've also got there's there's a bit in if we're looking at that that kind of like early scene in issue one where. Um, I think it's Ricky Lawless. It like sort of attack gets attacked by that the the, the chap who he's stealing stuff from. Yeah, and it, it's like it's so it's it's clever because it's like Drew was saying it's like it evokes like noir films, but also it's very it's so like specifically comics. I think there's there's a bit where like the the background just suddenly like flares up as though the room's on fire or something. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like one moment where the guy goes like realizes that Ricky's trying to steal like some pearls from the table, and all of a sudden it's like so unrealistic and yet. It just adds such as like really, really beautiful like sense a, of drama. It's like a musical sting almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A visual musical sting. Um, because you can't obviously you can't have music <laughs> with the yeah. if that was in a movie, then there would just be like, you know, like someone would be slamming their hands in a piano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you when you look at that panel, it does kind of it almost sets off uh, like a high pitched alarm in your head because yeah. the it's the bright reds and yellows, which you know is obviously danger, it's fire, it's you know, it's it's passion, it's and it's all this and it almost kind of like sets that tone. Yeah, I can almost hear exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that's something um, that I would use quite often myself as a colorist. It's kind of like, you know, the, the old true and tested sort of like, it's a dramatic panel, bright red. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, it's simple, but it does the job, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, you have spoken before about the... Um about the the reference book that you you've mentioned before about if it's purple someone's going to die um and that's yeah. and and that's uh, you know 
we we talk about kind of like red being danger and you've talked previously about like green being kind of a sickness or you know um and and it's it sounds simple when you talk about it but these are kind of primal things aren't they these are things that sit under the surface when you're reading through a comic it's not something you look at and go oh it's red oh there's danger oh something's going to happen <laughs> you, you know it's it's it, you're not thinking about it consciously it's kind of subconscious playing yeah. playing under the yeah. skin isn't it there is purple when he kills him as well. Oh, is that a spoiler? No, it's really in the first. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. There is, there is, there's, there's like the panel where he grabs the uh, like the ashtray and just wallops him on the head with the ashtray, and, and that goes purple. Yeah, someone's been reading the same book. Such a <laughs> yeah, they, they reference you at the back and just go, "Thanks to Hass for recommending this book." <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's perfect, and I think it goes, it goes back really to kind of um, try and bring us full circle. Really, is this idea of of coloring and and lettering and and inking. You know, these things that when you pick up a comic, you think it's it's words and pictures. Um, but there's so much more that goes into telling a story. And there's so much more that goes into um, subtly evoking, you know, emotions and mood and tone and genre. And I think that has a lot to do with with colouring and with lettering and with, you know, these these things that, as you said at the beginning, has this idea of you wanting to you wanting to go almost go unnoticed you know the the best you know the best way that you can you can display your lettering or make know that your lettering's working is that if it kind of it blends in i do i, th- I think that's like i think that's probably true for for every element of it as well though like in you, i think the thing the one thing that we were i was taught when i was at university for studying film production was if you know if someone's like watching a film that you've made and at some point they kind of stop and go oh wow that shot was beautiful or um you know or the, the lighting in that was incredible like you, you that person is supposed to be taken on a journey through your story mm. and if at any point you you do something that that upsets that equilibrium and they stop and, and notice the, the the like the seams then you've taken them out of the story you're trying to tell them so i like i think that's the same with with coloring and writing and, and in the art as well like sometimes you might read something and all of a sudden be stopped in your tracks by like how insane this this moment is and the problem like i that i have with that even though that's I suppose what I've like made my living off for two years. It's <laughs> talking, talking about that stuff, but um, but that's also a moment where you're potentially like upsetting the, the the kind of the flow of that story when you know really want someone to care about the the, the characters on the page as opposed to the way you've sort of drawn them. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Although technically that allows you to. Don't worry, I'll not analyze that sentence too much. But you know, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. And um, how do you feel, Tree, as as a you know as someone who you know, does a lot of colouring, is that, um, you know, is that something that you try and um, you're, you're conscious of when you're developing, developing like kind of designing your pages is something do you, would you like more to, to kind of be a subtle kind of hand in the storytelling or are there moments when you, you want people to, to, to see the colour and to recognise what you're doing? Um, I think if I'm doing something like a bright red panel, that is something that is an obvious flash of, like here danger danger you know the visual yeah. sting you know um the but there's other times where it definitely is a little bit more subtle and I'm, I'm trying to think of examples where like um uh, uh i suppose like with, within crowded there just because we're, we're on the streak with it and um, like sometimes i'll i'll put little flashes of yellow near charlie um and i'm trying to you know, as time build, I want to kind of build on that as time goes on to be like, look, they're they're two Vita and Charlie. They're they're two very very different people, but 
they are slowly starting to kind of learn to tolerate and be around each other and to understand each other and where they're coming both coming from um and kind of promoting that a little bit just with the color of like little you know even adding flashes of yellow to charlie's outfit from time to time you know just Hmm. trying to show that they're kind of influence each other in a way and I, I, don't, yeah. I don't want that to be super obvious i think i, I want it to be like a subtle thing that um is when you're when you're doing color and you're building a palette you're also kind of building a narrative with the palace so yeah. um sometimes i wouldn't use red as like the flashbang kind of color it would be blue or something like that something that stands out but um throughout a book i would have built the palette around blue being a dangerous color if you understand me mm-hmm. so yes you yeah. always follow natural conventions like green doesn't mean it has to mean one thing or has to mean another thing you know and that they're like in Crowder, for example for me green means danger and um, just because mm-hmm. of the certain uh certain characters who like their their palace be built around green so red doesn't necessarily mean danger <laughs> um, yeah yeah but that's the kind of the the palette I've kind of built up, and I like to I to have this constantly in mind when I'm coloring. We're kind of like, well, you know, what what you know the reader's been reading this so far, and they they have you know the subtle the subtleties in their mind. How can I build on this in a way? And like, it's not as complicated as I make it out to be, but it's just something <laughs> I you know I, I'm not like <laughs> psychologist genius kind of reading the lines of people. Like, yeah, it's something I like to kind of keep in mind, and it's something that there's a lot of things I do. I don't think will ever really be picked up by people. You do, yeah. There's like training the reader in a sense, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Because it's it's the same as like you know, like with art. If you if you draw a whole, because uh, I've been like rereading Wicked Divine recently a lot, and, and like Jamie McKelvey and that almost never has a bleed uh, image. It's, almost everything is in the panel border, yeah. but then occasionally there'll be like one moment where, you know, it's like a it's like a big face or whatever, and it and it, it expands the bleed, and you do feel like like you. I think you even if you're not. It's like is every is every panel on this page in the border? I still think even if you're not doing that, you'll still notice that like this is this is much bigger than I've seen before. Yeah, you, you kind of are able to train like a reader. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Um. Yeah, it's important to keep that mind while while coloring and and also like I think sometimes there 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 definitely is room for kind of like your your more standard um kind of you know what you were saying like green means sickness, purple means death. Um, like obviously if it's a moody scene, I'm not gonna be like coloring it bright red that there's but there i think there there is like there is room for certain subtleties that is built into the narrative um especially when you're building on a book that has been kind of uh it's there's a lot of issues like with a i don't know if you know rose it's an image comics book with Meredith finch and yes Bar- yeah. Bar- mm-hmm. um the I had I had been building on the book a little bit that um blue was evil essentially that that was the the main part the like the main villain of the series main palette was blue, but throughout the series I started injecting kind of this hot pink because I really wanted to imply that there was a greater evil behind what she was doing <laughs> very simplistic I know but like so sometimes flashes of <laughs> hot cool. pink and it accumulates the final issue kind of accumulates with um if you read it kind of kind of there's a clash of bright blue and bright pink but it may i i'd like to feel anyway i could be completely wrong that um that there this is not unexpected because there has been flashes of you know where they're they're showing like oh this is there's something behind this conspiracy and what's happening 
and whenever I do show flashes of uh, whenever flashes that were shown I would always color them in bright pink so like in the final like it's almost I don't want to say I've like trained the readers but like they it's not it's not coming out of nowhere you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, and then also just to give like a visual distinct difference to two different sets of villains as well instead of just making like I, I, I've kind of I've said that blue is evil but you know there's something else going on here and it's visually distinct and it's not necessary that the reader's going to think about it but their their brains immediately going to realize it's a very different colors they're going to maybe be like oh that's very distinct you know this is different <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah perfect well um well thank you both for joining me i'm uh, i'm conscious of the time but um it's it's been a great pleasure to talk to you about uh, about coloring tree and uh, about lettering with you Hassan, about the issues that uh, that you both love um and uh, and work on um but um but yeah thank you very much it's no uh, i really appreciate it thank you it's been fun yeah definitely thank you speak to you again soon Bye. that's the issue is part of the multiversity comics podcast network you can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter, at That's The Issue, and I'm on there too, at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at That'sTheIssuePodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 